0: The king of all kings. Far away, in the east, three clever men saw the very same star, the star that God had put in the sky when Jesus was born. They knew it was a sign. A baby king had been born. They had been waiting for this star. They knew it would come. He's here, they shouted. He's here and I'm sure if you'd been there, you would have heard them laughing and dancing and singing until the sun came up. At dawn, they packed up their camels and wrapped gifts for the baby. They brought their most precious treasures of all, frankincense, gold and myrrh, special, sparkly, lovely, smelling, gleaming things just right for a king. The three wise men... Actually, if you'd met them, you'd have thought they were kings because they were so rich and clever and important-looking. Anyway, they set off. They rode their camels across endless deserts, up steep, steep mountains, down into deep, deep valleys, through raging rivers, over grassy plains, night and day and day and night, for hours that turned into days that turned into weeks, that turned into months and months, until at last they reached Jerusalem. Jerusalem was by far the most important city for miles around, and as anyone can tell you, that's where a palace would be, and kings are born in palaces, so that's where they went. But they were in for a surprise. They went to see King Herod. Surely he'd know where this baby was, but he didn't. In fact, he didn't like the sound of a new king. It made him cross. He didn't want anyone to be king except him. But Herod's advisers told the three wise men what was written in their books, what God had said about the baby king. Go to Bethlehem. That's where you'll find him. Suddenly... The star they had seen in the east started moving again, showing them the way. So the three wise men followed the star out of the big city along the road into the little town of Bethlehem. They followed the star through the streets of Bethlehem, out of the nice part of town, through the not-so-nice part of town, into the really not-nice-at-all part of town, down a little dirt track until it stopped right over... A little house. But wait. It it wasn't a palace. A, a, and there weren't any guards or servants or flags or red carpets or trumpets or anything. Did they get it wrong? Or was this what God meant? Sure enough. In that little house, there sitting on his mother's knee, they found him, the baby king. The three men knelt before the little king. They took off their rich royal turbans and gleaming golden crowns. They bowed their noble heads to the ground and gave him their sparkling treasures. The journey that had begun so many centuries before had led three wise men here to a little town, to a little house, to a little child, to the king God had promised David all those years before. But this child was a new kind of king. Though he was the prince of heaven, he had become poor. Though he was the mighty God, he had become a helpless baby. This king hadn't come to be the boss. He had come to be a servant.
1: Twas um, the day after Christmas and all through the house. Every creature was hurting, even the mouse. The toys were all broken, their batteries dead. Santa was out, cold snoring, loudly in bed. Wrapping and ribbons just covered the floor while the kitchen sink called out, not one plate more. And I in my t-shirt, new Reeboks and jeans, went into the kitchen and started to clean. Went out on the lawn, there arose such a clatter. I sprang from the sink to see what was the matter. And away to the window, I flew like a flash. I tore open the curtains and threw up the sash. When what to my wandering eyes should appear but a little white truck with an oversized mirror. And the driver was smiling so lively and grand. And the patch on his jacket said, U.S. Postman. And with a handful of bills, he grinned like a fox. Then he quickly stuffed them in my mailbox. Bill after bill after bill they still came, whistling and shouting. He called them by name. Now Dillard's, now Broadway's, now Pennies and Sears. There's Levitt's and Targets and Lowe's, all here to the tip of your limit, every store, every mall. Now charge away, charge away, charge away all. And he whooped and he whistled as he finished his work He filled up the box and then he turned with a jerk and he sprang to his truck and he drove down the road, driving much faster with a half of load. And then I heard him exclaim with great holiday cheer Enjoy what you've got because you'll be paying all year. (laughs) Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. And if you're watching online, glad you're joining with us. Uh, I think a lot of you are. And down at F3, glad you're with us. Um, hope you had a wonderful weekend. And uh, thank you for joining us uh, today. If you're a guest with us, uh, especially we have a, at the Welcome Center a gift for you. So make sure you stop by there at the end of this service. Take your Bibles and turn, it through, turn with me to the Old Testament book, The Prophet Daniel. Daniel, and specifically chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. I'm sure you've seen these pictures. If you've been to Jerusalem, you certainly have visited here the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. It's where hundreds and thousands of uh, Jews come. That's the holiest site there in, in Judaism. And they come, and they come to pray to Jehovah God. They gather at that wall, and they pray for three things specifically. They pray that the Jews will continue to return to their land, the land of Israel. They pray that the temple will soon be rebuilt in all its glory. And finally, and most important of all, they pray that the Messiah will come, will return and deliver them and lead them. Now, I, I want you to imagine this morning that you were uh, living in Israel, not modern day, but 2,000 years ago. Um, you're an ardent scripture, a student of scripture. Um, you pour over the ancient writings. Um, and like any good, devout Jew, you are anxiously longing and awaiting the return of Messiah. It's what the Old Testament prophets had prophesied, the coming of the king. Um, It burns deep in your soul. You long for his presence in Israel. And you study the scriptures and you see these hints all throughout scripture. Um, From the book of Genesis, you learn that um, he's going to be from the seed of the woman. Be from the seed of Abraham. You keep reading the book of Genesis and you find that it's to the the lineage of Isaac, and then of Jacob, and uh, that he'll specifically be and arise from the tribe of Judah, all in the first book of the Bible. You keep reading in the book of uh, Deuteronomy, and you find out that he's going to be a prophet like Moses, Deuteronomy 18:15. As you keep studying the Scriptures in 2 Samuel, you read that he is going to be a descendant of David, um, a son of David will come. You read further in the prophets and you find from Micah that it's the little town of Bethlehem that he'll hail from and wonder of wonders from the prophet Isaiah he's going to be born to a virgin. You keep reading and keep studying and then you make the most startling um, observation and wonder of all you're in the book of Daniel. Um, it's a, a book that has intrigued you because of all the imagery and all the prophetic scriptures in Daniel. Um, the candle is burning low one particular night. And you're pouring over the, the scriptures of, of the prophet Daniel. And you've never seen this before. It just kind of jumps up out of you, out of the pages of scripture and, and grabs you. See, all the other prophecies regarding the Messiah have to do with seemingly um, the character of, his t- uh, of the manner or the circumstances of his coming, the character of the Messiah. But, but this particular night, as you're studying through the book of Daniel, for the first time, it, it, it dawns on you that Daniel is, is going to tell you about the time, the timing of the Messiah. Daniel chapter 9. In the beginning of chapter 9, Daniel is praying. He's confessing the sins of the people of Israel, his own sins. He's begging God to forgive the sins of Israel. Begging God to listen to his prayers. He says in verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, O my God, do not delay. Because your city and your people are called by your name. Now what had prompted this this pouring out of of Daniel's heart to the Lord, this confession of prayer? Well, the first couple verses of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, verse 2 and 3, we read this, in the first year of Darius' reign, I, Daniel, observed in the book's the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem. Namely 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. What's Daniel doing? He's spending time in the book of Jeremiah the prophet. And as he's Daniel is reading the book of Jeremiah. He comes across this verse in Jeremiah 25, 11. This whole land will be a desolation and a horror. and These nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. That's what Daniel was reading, the book of Jeremiah. That's what he'd come across, 70 years. Daniel was a young lad. 605 B.C., taken off into captivity into Babylon. Israel fell. Jerusalem sacked, destroyed. The Jewish people taken off into captivity. Jeremiah wrote about that. He was called the weeping prophet. He was caught up in all of that. 586 B.C., the burning, the sacking of Jerusalem. And Daniel is there in that ancient world of Babylon. As the people... Of Israel now come as slaves. For decades Daniel has been a servant of God, a faithful servant of God in this God-forsaken kingdom taken over by the Medes and the Persians. And, and now Daniel is an aged man, probably 84 years old now. And he's reading from the book of Jeremiah, 70 years and he begins to calculate, and he realizes the seventy years are about completed. And it was that that prompted Daniel to cry out to God, "Oh God, hear us! Oh God, forgive us! Oh God, return to us!" Now let's pick up the reading of Daniel in verse twenty-one. Daniel twenty-one, chapter nine, verse twenty-one. <clears throat> Daniel says, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. And he gave me instruction, verse 22, and he walked and he talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I've come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed, So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. Now starting in verse 24, we get the content of what Gabriel was declaring to Daniel. Verse 24, he says, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. And so you are to know, verse 25, you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks, And it will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. Verse 27. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, But in the middle of that week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction. One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. There's a lot in these verses, but I want to focus on what Gabriel says here, that there are 70 weeks that are decreed for your people. Seventy weeks for your holy city. Now, if you have an NIV translation, it'll say seventy sevens, which is probably the more accurate translation. It's a unit of time, this weeks or this sevens, seventy units of time. It could be hours, it could be days, it could be weeks, it could be years. Context will determine it. And in the context of Daniel, We know that the 77s have to do with years. It's a time period. It is 70 units of seven years. 70 times seven, 490 years. There it is. 490 years, Gabriel is telling Daniel, are decreed for your people to accomplish six things. To finish transgression... That is to put an end to Israel's rebellion. Make an end of sin. Make atonement and reconciliation for iniquity. A final final atoning for sin. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To literally bring in the righteousness of the ages. To seal up visions and prophecy. That is to bring in the final fulfillment of all the prophetic scriptures. To anoint the most holy place. To consecrate, in other words, the religious service in the temple once again. Verse 24 is telling us, as Gabriel recounted it to Daniel, that there are 490 years that God has marked off for the nation of Israel to accomplish all these things. All the things that have been prophesied, all God's plan for the nation of Israel, He's telling Daniel there are 490 years that remain. Now, Gabriel is going to be very specific as he breaks down these 77s. And he uh, tells us it's going to be in groups of of, uh, 7 and 62 and 1. Look at verse 25 again. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. That's 69 weeks. And it will be built again with plasm mode, even in times of distress. And then he says in verse 27, and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. That's the 77s. Two... 62 and 7 and one final week. Now, this morning I just want to focus on that verse 25. You are to know and discern that from an issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be 7 plus 62, 69 weeks. The first question of importance is to figure out well, when does this begin? When was there an issue in a decree? Because Gabriel just laying out for Daniel, here's the plan. Get out your cal- calculators, get out your calendars. I'm giving it to you straight. There are 490 years that I've set up and decreed for the nation of Israel. No more, no less. And it begins when there is a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So when was that decree given? Well, we'd have to go back to that time period. It's recorded in the book of Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, but chapter, one says, uh, chapter 2 verse 1 says, And it came about in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now Nehemiah was a... Uh, a um, first line of defense for the king. He was the wine taster. So and so, no one would, you know, poison the king. He would die first. So he brought the wine into the king Artaxerxes. And it goes on in verses 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 and explains how Nehemiah is burdened for his people and and, uh, for his land of Israel. And so he makes a request of Artaxerxes to allow him to return to the land and begin the rebuilding process. And verse 8 says, and the king, King Artaxerxes, granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. Nehemiah goes and makes requests and Artaxerxes the king grants the request to go and rebuild Jerusalem. Now we're indebted to a man by the name of Dr. Harold Honor, who put together an exhaustive chronology of all of this time, figured it all out uh, and due to his... Um, Uh, His efforts, I think we have some reliable dates that we can look at. The 20th year of Artaxerxes was in the year 444 B.C. History records that Artaxerxes issued his decree to Nehemiah to rebuild the city of Jerusalem on March 5th in 444 B.C. Now, from that decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem Until Messiah the Prince, there's 7 and 62, or 69 weeks. So if we figure this out, you take 69, or 7 plus 62, multiply by 7, 7 is 483 years. It's coming a little clearer from the issuing of the decree until Messiah the Prince, or 69 weeks, or 483 years. Now by Jewish reckoning, a year is 360 days. So 483 years times 360 days is 173,880 days. Go ahead and get your calculators on your phone and check me out. 173,880 days. All right, let's put it into the... Equation. From the issue of the decree on March 5th, 444 B.C., add the 173,880 days, you arrive at March 30th in A.D. 33. A.D. 33, March 30th. What took place on March 30th at A.D. 33? Well, Dr. Honer, in his timing, says that was the day, exactly the day, of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem as he proclaimed himself king of the Jews. The amazing thing to me, this was laid out in Daniel some 500 plus years before it ever happened. It was given to Daniel by an angel, Gabriel, in answer to Daniel's prayers from reading Jeremiah the prophet. And it's all written down in Daniel the prophet. From the issuing of a decree, March 5th, 444 B.C., history t- tells us, until Messiah the prince is 173,880 days. Figured it out. There it is. Until Messiah the prince. My question is, how could the first century Jews have missed it? Good night, it's right there in the prophet Daniel. What in the world were you thinking? There it is. Now, granted, they didn't have Dr. Honer's book on the chronology of this. Um, I think they could have come fairly close, though. They could have been keeping some type of watch over Bethlehem, I mean, Micah 5:2, the timing was had to be fairly close. You'd think someone would have been searching for the Messiah. Well, indeed, someone was searching for the Messiah. We read about it over in Matthew. Chapter 2 and our storybook, Jesus storybook lesson this morning. The Magi from the East. Matthew chapter 2. <clears throat> Verse 1 Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Aha! Somebody was on their game. Where is this Messiah? We've come to worship him. Now, it's interesting, I think, that what we have here it says that these are magi from the east. We've come from the east. Um, who were these men that showed up at this precise time? Who were these guys who had come from the East? I have, I think, every reason to believe these were um, stargazers. They they were maybe you would call them magicians, they were wise men from ancient Babylon. It was not Babylon at those days, but from that area. They, no doubt, had been um, in the long line of of, uh, stargazers and wise men from the tradition of Daniel himself. No doubt Daniel had quite a reputation. Those who had preceded him knew of this chief of all wise men of that ancient world centuries before. Daniel, the Jew who wrote things down in a book. And I would venture a guess and it's an educated guess to say that these wise men had a copy of their great um, former wise men. Uh, The well-known chief of all magicians, Daniel. And it was in this book of Daniel that they had, that they studied and they read of Daniel's prophetic revelations. And they, too, grabbed the book of Daniel, like Daniel had grabbed the book of Jeremiah, and they read this account. Gabriel had said, 490 years are decreed for the Jewish people. And from the issuing of a decree from Artaxerxes until the Messiah, the Prince, is 483 years <clears throat> 173,880 days. And somehow, in some way, with their calculations, they begin to realize the time is close. And then, by some divine plan of God, these stargazers, these astrologers from the east, they see the star. And somehow, moved by God Himself, in accordance with the prophetic scriptures of Daniel, written by the chief magician of all times of that ancient world, Daniel, they follow the star. What would possess these Babylonian magi to leave their families, their country, and pursue the Jewish Messiah? Something in their spirit had convinced them this is true. And the king of kings has arrived. It's interesting that a wise man from Babylon almost 600 years earlier had predicted the coming of the Messiah and now the people seeking him are wise men again from the east pursuing him. The Bible does say that there was another person who was looking for the Messiah. He was an old Jew that we know really nothing about other than his name and his character. He was a righteous and devout man by the name of Simeon. He was also searching the scriptures, seeking the Messiah. The Bible also tells us there's one other guy who was also seeking for the Messiah. Not for a purpose of worshiping him, but to destroy him. It was King Herod. An old Jew, Simeon, a paranoid king, Herod, and three astrologers from the east who probably had studied the book of Daniel. The question still burns, what kept the Jewish people themselves from seeking and pursuing? What kept them from, from reading Daniel? Why did they ignore what was plainly there in Scripture? 483 years from the issuing of the decree by Artaxerxes, until Messiah, the prince, figure it out. It's there. But on that night, alone in a little place in Bethlehem, Messiah was born. And the Magi from the east begin their journey. And they show up in their search for the Messiah. Messiah. And the Jewish people were not to be found. What kept them from finding the Messiah? Well, probably the very same things that's keeping people today from finding Jesus, searching for him. You know, the busyness of life, the stresses of everyday living, um, the, the, the selfishness, the selfish drivenness that entangles us, and the just the affairs of keeping our head above water, of of, uh, paying off those Christmas debts, (laughs) of trying to avoid sickness and sorrows and just trying to, you know, have a good life, doing it on our own. But I think God would invite us today to be like those wise men, Um, Daniel was reading from the book of Jeremiah. Well, Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13 says, and you will seek me and find me and you will search me when you search for me with all your heart. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. It's a well-worn phrase, but it, (laughs) it carries a lot of truth that wise people still seek him. There's one week left to 2021. woohoo! And 2022 begins. A challenge for me, and I would share it with you, is we got one week to the end of this year to kind of figure out how we want to search for and pursue after Jesus this year, coming. How are we going to, to seek after Jesus? How are we going to experience his power and his love and his grace in our our life this year? How are we going to express wisdom and pursue after Jesus? What changes maybe need to be made in our life? Study the scriptures more diligently. Participate in a group of people who are studying the Word of God together. Regular attendance at worship gatherings when the body of Christ gathers. Just personal time of maybe spending a little bit more time in prayer and talking with Him. Just being diligent and saying, Lord, I want to know you better this year. I mean, one day, if you know Jesus as your Savior, we're going to spend eternity with Him. And He's given us the opportunity right now to get to know Him better now, here on earth. How in 2022 are we going to seek after Jesus more diligently? We got one week at the end of 2021 to consider that. And the business of life and the stresses and cares of a world gone mad, the things that grab our attention on a daily basis, sometimes moment by moment, every time there's a beep you know, on that phone, it's amazing how ADHD all of us are, just distracted constantly. May God give us his grace to be like the wise men of old. Let's pursue Jesus more. I don't know what that's going to look like for you. I'm not going to probably share with you what that means for me. I just know it needs to happen. I just know that there's too many things in this world that are sucking the life out of us and drawing us away. I don't want to be like the first century Jews. Let's not miss Jesus. Let's pursue him. Let's seek him with our whole heart. And when we do, we'll find him. Let's pray. Father, now more than ever, we need to know Jesus. Pursue after him and seek him. I pray, Lord, that you would stir in us a desire for that. And whether we have a desire or not, that we'll, we'll discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness and spend time with you. Not in some religious manners of checking off a list, but of, of diligent communion and and pursuing you and talking with you and begging you like Daniel did for intimacy with you. Lord, may you do that. Um, Stir within us a desire. And thank you, Father, that when we pursue you, uh, you show up, you reveal yourself. We seek you, we find you because you're faithful, and we thank you for that. Most important thing here, Father, today is if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, that search for you needs to begin right now, right here, with understanding that you love them, and you sent your Son, Jesus, into this world. That Messiah, the Prince, came for the express purpose of dying on the cross and, and paying for our sins I pray, Father, that you would open the heart today here who's listening or online or right here in this room to put their trust in you. Understand that it is by grace that we are eternally saved for all all of eternity through faith as we trust that you died and rose again for us. You enter our life and We can can begin and then continue that journey to know you even better. Maybe all of eternity will be spent doing that. For you are the infinite God. Thank you for coming into our world. Thank you for pursuing us and giving us the opportunity to pursue you. Truly, Father, wise people still seek you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.